you are now tuned into World War I Stories. I'm your host, Steve Matthews, here to guide you through the labyrinth of memories and tales from the war to end all wars. Each Tuesday and Thursday, we dive headfirst into the captivating stories of World War I. We will traverse the trenches, soar with the Red Baron, and witness the dawn of modern warfare. We'll recount tales of courage and sacrifice, of human endurance against the odds, and of a world forever changed. But our journey through history doesn't stop there. For those of you eager to continue the exploration, we invite you to check out our sister podcast dedicated to World War II, which explores the next dramatic chapter of global conflict. You can find the link in the description or head over to podhour.com ww1. As the morning mist gave way to the cold light of day on February 21, 1916, the men entrenched along the rolling hills and forests of Verdun, France, could scarcely have imagined the cataclysm that was about to befall them. By nightfall, the once serene landscape would be transformed into a gruesome tableau of smoke, mud, and death, the opening salvo of what would become the longest and one of the most brutal battles of World War I, the Battle of Verdun. In the cauldron of Verdun, more than a million lives would be shattered over the course of ten unyielding months. Verdun was not merely a battle, it was a harrowing testament to human endurance in the face of relentless violence, a stage where strategies of attrition were carried out with ruthless precision, and above all, a stark reminder of the horrifying realities of total war. Our tale begins in the turbulent political climate of early 20th century Europe, where a complex network of alliances and rivalries was bubbling ominously beneath the surface of international diplomacy. This was the powder keg of Europe, a volatile mix that needed only the slightest spark to ignite the inferno of conflict. And when the spark did come, it set off a cataclysmic chain of events that reshaped the course of human history. As we delve into the labyrinth of the Battle of Verdun, we will encounter larger-than-life figures, like General Joseph Joffrey and Eric von Falkenhayn, whose wills clashed in the hills of Verdun. We will traverse the horrific landscapes of the trenches and meet the ordinary soldiers whose resilience and sacrifice marked the true cost of the war. We will witness the power of innovation in the air war over Verdun, and we will scrutinize the turning tides of the conflict, all culminating in an arduous victory. In the aftermath, we will grapple with the staggering loss of life and the psychological and environmental scars left in the wake of the battle. Finally, we will contemplate the legacy of Verdun, its place in the collective memory of France and Germany, and the universal lessons it teaches us about the horrors of war and the human capacity for resilience in the face of unimaginable adversity. Join me on this journey as we navigate the intricate tapestry of the Battle of Verdun, a chapter of our past that continues to echo profoundly into our present and future. Chapter 1. The Stage is Set In the dawn of the 20th century, the face of Europe was a deceptive facade of peace and prosperity. Beneath this serene surface, the continent was akin to a powder keg, brimming with simmering tensions, fanned by national ambitions, and inflamed by age-old rivalries. At the heart of this latent discord were proud nations, led by men with dreams of glory and dominion, and a populace stirred by a potent mix of nationalism and fear. Among these nations, Germany and France stood out, 
each haunted by a shared history of hostility. Germany, brimming with newfound confidence after its unification in 1871, was a rapidly rising industrial power with an expanding military might under the stern gaze of Kaiser Wilhelm II. His grandiose dreams of a German empire brought him into direct conflict with the ambitions of other European powers. In contrast, France still carried the scars of the Franco-Prussian War, a humiliating defeat that saw the loss of the provinces of Alsace and Lorraine to the victorious Germans. This event was a wound to French pride, fueling a desire for revanche, or revenge, an emotion embedded deep in the national psyche, shaping their political and military decisions. Caught between these two powers was the figure of Britain's King Edward VII, who, through deft diplomacy, sought to maintain a delicate balance. He watched warily as Germany's naval prowess grew, threatening Britain's control over the seas. Thus, he cultivated a network of alliances, including the Entente Cordiale with France, to counterbalance Germany's increasing influence. The atmosphere of Europe during this time was charged, like a gathering storm. Nations expanded their armies and upgraded their arsenals, with dreadnoughts taking to the seas and artillery pieces forged in great numbers. The press on all sides fanned the flames, rousing nationalistic fervor and stoking fears of an imminent war. Then, in the summer of 1914, the unthinkable happened. The heir to the Austro-Hungarian throne, Archduke Franz Ferdinand, was assassinated in Sarajevo by a Serbian nationalist. This single act was the spark that ignited the powder keg. The complex web of alliances and treaties came into play, and within weeks, Europe was plunged into a war the likes of which the world had never seen before. In the midst of this maelstrom, two figures rose to prominence, General Joseph Joffrey of France and Eric von Falkenhayn of Germany. These men, each driven by a deep sense of duty and shaped by the political climate of their time, would soon find their destinies intertwined on the battlegrounds of Verdun. As the year 1916 dawned, Europe was in the grip of a brutal war of attrition. The once picturesque landscapes had been transformed into muddy fields of trenches and barbed wire, littered with the wreckage of war. And yet, the worst was still to come. As Joffrey and Falkenhayn gazed upon their respective maps, the name Verdun loomed ominously, a harbinger of the terrible struggle that lay ahead. Little did they know, the Battle of Verdun was poised to become one of the bloodiest chapters in human history. As the storm of war brewed over Europe, military planners in both Germany and France began to map out their paths to victory. Their blueprints for combat, woven from threads of ambition, foresight, and desperation, were drastically different but would soon intersect in the crucible of Verdun. At the heart of Germany's strategy was the audacious Schlieffen Plan. Named after its architect, Count Alfred von Schlieffen, it was an ambitious gambit aimed at overcoming Germany's central dilemma, the threat of war on two fronts, against France in the west and Russia in the east. Schlieffen's solution was daringly simple, strike hard and fast at France, knock it out of the war, and then turn east to face Russia. Schlieffen envisioned a vast, sweeping move through neutral Belgium, outflanking the French forces lined along the Franco-German border, then swooping down to encircle Paris. It was a plan of breathtaking ambition, a grand vision of a quick, decisive victory.
At the helm, steering the execution of this plan, was Germany's chief of general staff, Erich von Falkenhayn, a man noted for his calm demeanor and meticulous mind. Meanwhile, France, nursing the wounds of its past defeat and dreaming of redemption, concocted a strategy of its own, Plan 17. Spearheaded by General Joseph Joffrey, a man of iron will and undying optimism, the French plan envisioned a swift and powerful offensive into Alsace-Lorraine, territories lost in the Franco-Prussian War, with the belief that the Germans would focus their defense here. As war unfolded, however, reality proved brutally resistant to the neat lines and arrows of their plans. The German advance through Belgium was slowed by stiff resistance, while the French offensive faltered against the fortified German defenses. By the end of 1914, both plans had effectively failed, leading to a grim stalemate along a sprawling network of trenches that stretched from the English Channel to the Swiss frontier. The war of movement that both sides had hoped for had degenerated into a grueling war of attrition. Yet, in this bleak landscape, a new plan was beginning to take shape in the mind of Falkenhayn. It was a plan not of swift victory, but of slow, deliberate bleeding. Its focal point was a fortified town on the banks of the River Meuse, a place of strategic significance and symbolic value, Verdun. As 1915 gave way to 1916, Falkenhayn and Joffrey, two military architects whose grand plans had met with reality's harsh lessons, were about to cross paths once again. The stage was set for a cataclysmic battle, a conflict that would test not only their strategic acumen but also the very limits of human endurance. The Battle of Verdun was on the horizon. In this complex drama of war, two figures towered over all others, General Joseph Joffrey of France and Germany's Erich von Falkenhayn. Theirs was a contest of will and strategy, a high-stakes game played out across the shell-scarred landscapes of Europe where nations' futures hung in the balance. Joseph Joffrey, known to his men as Papa Joffrey, was a formidable presence. His broad frame and stony countenance belied a calm, almost serene demeanor. Yet beneath this placid exterior was a mind of steel, imbued with a dogged optimism that refused to waver, even in the face of the bleakest odds. The son of a Catalan cooper, Joffrey had risen through the ranks of the French army developing a reputation for his cool-headed decisiveness. On the other side of the battlefield, Erich von Falkenhayn cut a figure of quiet intensity. The son of Prussian nobility, Falkenhayn was a man of careful calculation, a trait that served him well in his rapid rise through the German military's ranks. His meticulous mind and cold pragmatism were the perfect counterpoint to Joffrey's impassioned resilience. As the war unfolded and initial plans faltered, the pair found themselves locked in a clash of tactics and tenacity. Both had to adapt their strategies, learning bitter lessons from the ruthless teacher that was the Great War. For Joffrey, the formidable French defense's initial failures became a crucible, tempering his strategic thinking. He understood the need for a staunch defense while waiting for the right moment to strike back. Meanwhile, Falkenhayn, confronted with the reality that the Schlieffen plan had not delivered the quick victory he had hoped for, devised a new strategy. He aimed not to capture territory but to bleed the French army dry in a war of attrition. 
As their paths began to converge on the fortified town of Verdun, Joffrey and Falkenhayn braced for the inevitable clash. Joffrey's unwavering resolve met Falkenhayn's clinical pragmatism head-on. The coming battle would not only shape the course of the war but also define their legacies. Amid the cold February winds of 1916, the Battle of Verdun loomed, casting a long, foreboding shadow. Joffrey and Falkenhayn, two military minds forged in the furnace of conflict, were about to engage in one of the most ferocious struggles in human history. Their fates, entwined with the destinies of their nations, were now tethered to the fortified city on the Meuse River. Chapter 2 The Onset of the Battle Nestled along the meandering path of the Meuse River, Verdun held a special place in French history and psyche. It was more than just a town, it was a fortified stronghold, a bulwark against foreign invasion, steeped in tradition and ancient lore. As Joffrey and Falkenhayn faced each other across the battle lines, Verdun stood silently, awaiting the storm that was to come. The defenses around Verdun were a testament to French military engineering. Encircling the city were two formidable rings of forts, a latticework of steel and concrete designed to withstand the most formidable of assaults. The crown jewel among them was the mighty Fort Duamont, a colossal edifice of armored turrets and thick, reinforced concrete. Falkenhayn, with his characteristic pragmatism, had assessed the defenses of Verdun with a keen eye. His objective wasn't to capture Verdun outright but to draw the French into a costly battle of attrition under its looming forts. He knew the French would fight to the last man to defend Verdun, a city symbolizing French courage and resilience. As February 1916 dawned, German artillery pieces were moved into position, their cold steel barrels aimed at Verdun. The stage was set for a confrontation that would shake Europe to its core. The French soldiers stationed in Verdun, their breath misting in the frigid air, could only wait as the rumblings of the German artillery grew louder. When the onslaught began, it was like nothing anyone had seen before. Over a million shells rained down on Verdun, a storm of steel and fire that turned day into night. Amid the smoke and the dust, Verdun stood defiant, its forts weathering the storm. In the ensuing struggle, the French soldiers, caught in the storm, found an unlikely source of inspiration the unwavering figure of their commander, Joffrey. His refusal to give up, to yield an inch of ground, became a beacon of hope for his beleaguered men. Throughout the relentless German barrage, Verdun held firm. The mighty forts, particularly Duamont, withstood the onslaught, sheltering French soldiers within their armored walls. Amid the hellfire, Verdun, the bulwark on the Meuse, became a symbol of French resistance. The fight for Verdun was just beginning, a battle that would transform the tranquil landscape into a harrowing spectacle of destruction. It would test the mettle of both Joffrey and Falkenhayn and shape the destiny of their nations. The city on the Meuse was about to etch its name indelibly into the annals of history. In the cold, tactical calculus of Erich von Falkenhayn, the path to victory was steeped not in grand maneuvers or dramatic breakthroughs, but in a grim arithmetic of attrition. His gambit, as daring as it was ruthless, was aimed to bleed France white, to grind down their forces in a war of wear and tear beneath the guns of Verdun. 
In Falkenhayn's view, Verdun was a trap, a tempting prize that the French would fight tooth and nail to defend. By threatening Verdun, he intended to lure French soldiers into a meat grinder, to a place where the efficient German artillery could exact a heavy toll. It was a plan as cold as the steel of the artillery barrels, as unyielding as the concrete of the German bunkers. The German assault on Verdun began with a punishing artillery barrage, a storm of steel that turned the sky dark and shook the earth to its core. Following this, the German infantry advanced, their grey-clad formations moving relentlessly towards the beleaguered city. In the face of this onslaught, the French were forced to throw more and more men into the fray, exactly as Falkenhayn had predicted. Yet, despite the punishing conditions and heavy casualties, the French soldiers, inspired by the unwavering determination of Joffrey, fought back with dogged tenacity. Days turned into weeks, and weeks into months. Verdun became a charnel house, a grim testament to Falkenhayn's strategy of attrition. Yet, amid the blood and mud, the French resolve remained unbroken. Joffrey's iron will echoed in the hearts of his men, fostering an unyielding determination that not a step backward would be taken. Meanwhile, Falkenhayn watched the unfolding carnage with an impassive gaze. His gamble was taking its toll on the French, but it was also costing the Germans. The battle was not turning out to be the quick and decisive action he had envisioned. Instead, Verdun was becoming a quagmire, consuming men and material at an alarming rate. As the battle wore on, questions began to surface. Was Falkenhayn's strategy working? Was the cost, in lives and resources, worth the potential gains? The German high command began to harbor doubts about Falkenhayn's approach, leading to tension and uncertainty within the German ranks. The Battle of Verdun, initially seen as a strategic move by Falkenhayn, was becoming an epic struggle of endurance, a bloody testament to the destructive power of the Great War. The stakes were high, and the outcome uncertain. But one thing was clear, the struggle for Verdun, with its unbearable cost, was changing the face of the war. As the echoes of the initial artillery bombardment subsided, a new sound arose, the ominous rumble of thousands of German boots advancing towards Verdun. It was the beginning of a relentless onslaught, a human wave of steel that would crash upon the city's defenses. Leading the charge was Crown Prince Wilhelm, son of the German Kaiser. He was a man caught between duty and humanity, tasked with executing Falkenhayn's ruthless strategy. With his piercing gaze and stern expression, he was an imposing figure, yet beneath his exterior, a sense of unease loomed. This battle, he knew, would cost many lives. The German soldiers, marching under the Crown Prince's command, formed an unyielding tide. As they advanced, they passed through a landscape transformed by the artillery barrage into a shattered wasteland, a realm of mud and craters where once vibrant woods and quiet hamlets stood. Upon reaching Verdun's outer defenses, the German soldiers faced fierce resistance. The French soldiers, driven by a spirit of defiance and encouraged by Joffrey's unyielding will, put up a heroic fight. Yet, the German onslaught continued, wave after wave, fueled by the belief that each step brought them closer to victory. One by one, the outer forts of Verdun fell. The colossal Fort Duomont, 
which had withstood the initial barrage, was taken in a daring German assault. Its capture was a blow to French morale, yet it only served to harden their resolve. Amid the smoke and chaos, tales of heroism emerged. Men like Sergeant Coons, a German soldier who, despite being wounded, led the charge that captured Fort Duamont, and Lieutenant Raynal, the last French defender of Fort Vaux, held out against overwhelming odds, only surrendering when water and supplies had run out. As weeks turned into months, Verdun's defenses were gradually pushed back, ground down by the German advance. Yet, even as the city seemed to be within grasp, the German onslaught began to lose its momentum. The cost in lives was staggering, and whispers of doubt started circulating in the German high command. The battle for Verdun, far from the quick victory Falkenhayn had predicted, was becoming a grinding war of attrition, a testament to the indomitable human spirit and the grim realities of the Great War. As the iron wave of the German onslaught ebbed, both sides braced themselves for the next chapter of the battle. Chapter 3 The Battle's Seminal Events In the heart of the formidable ring of defenses encircling Verdun stood Fort Duamont, the crown jewel of the city's bulwarks. It was a monolith of armored steel and reinforced concrete, considered virtually impregnable. Yet, as the German onslaught continued, the fort's fate hung in the balance. Sergeant Coons, a taciturn man with a reputation for courage and tenacity, led the small German contingent assigned the colossal task of capturing the fort. They advanced under cover of darkness, guided by the glow of the fires that raged across the battle-scarred landscape. As the Germans neared the fort, they encountered minimal resistance. The mighty Fort Duamont, to their surprise, was lightly defended. A combination of miscommunication and confusion had left it vulnerable, an error that the Germans were quick to exploit. Upon entering the fort, Coons and his men found it eerily quiet. The hum of the machinery and the low rumble of distant artillery fire echoed through the empty corridors. It was a stark contrast to the chaos of the battlefield they had left behind. When word of the fall of Fort Duamont reached the French command, it was a heavy blow. The fort's capture echoed through the ranks like a funeral toll, casting a shadow over French morale. Joffrey, a rock in the storm, refused to let this setback deter him. He vowed to recapture the fort, instilling in his men a renewed determination. News of the fort's capture also reached the German high command. Falkenhayn, who had orchestrated the Battle of Verdun as a war of attrition, saw the fort's fall as a significant step towards victory. Yet, he remained cautious, aware that the battle was far from over. As the German flag flew over Fort Duamont, the Battle of Verdun entered a new phase. The French, steeled by the loss of their prized fort, prepared to counterattack. The Germans, buoyed by their success, braced for the coming storm. Verdun, scarred and battered, continued to resist. The fall of Fort Duamont was indeed a dark hour for France. Yet, it was in these dark hours that the true metal of the French spirit shone through. Their defiance in the face of adversity, their unwillingness to surrender, would come to define the rest of the Battle of Verdun. As the morale of the French forces wavered in the wake of the fall of Fort Duamont, a new figure emerged on the scene, General Philippe Pétain.
A seasoned soldier with a steady gaze and a reputation for cool pragmatism, Peytan was a contrast to the relentless Joffrey. His assignment was to hold Verdun at all costs, a task he approached with steely resolve. Upon his arrival, Peytan assessed the situation with a practiced eye. Verdun was under immense pressure, but he was not one to flinch in the face of adversity. His first order of business was to boost the flagging morale of his troops. Peytan's speeches to his men were tinged with a simple, unyielding message, they shall not pass. But Peytan knew that words alone would not hold Verdun. Actions were needed. He swiftly implemented the Noria system, a rotating flow of troops through the Verdun sector. This not only ensured a steady stream of fresh soldiers, but also allowed for rest and recuperation for those who had endured the ordeal of the front lines. Peytan also championed the improvement of logistics and supply lines to Verdun. He oversaw the expansion of the Sacred Way, a narrow supply route which became the lifeline of Verdun, ferrying men, munitions, and supplies to the beleaguered city. Under Peytan's leadership, the French defense of Verdun grew more robust. The German forces, expecting a quick victory, found themselves mired in a bloody standoff. Peytan's tactics began to frustrate the German advance, slowing the iron wave that had once seemed unstoppable. On the battlefield, Peytan's presence was felt everywhere. He often visited the front lines, standing shoulder to shoulder with his men, sharing their dangers and privations. His courage and unwavering resolve earned him the title Lion of Verdun, a name that echoed through the ranks and bolstered the spirits of his troops. Peytan's arrival marked a turning point in the Battle of Verdun. He did not merely bring strategic changes, he brought hope. His calm resolve, his refusal to give in, shone like a beacon in France's darkest hour. The tide of the battle was beginning to shift, and as the days passed, it became evident that Verdun, the city on the Meuse, would not fall easily. The Lion of Verdun was there to ensure it. As the Battle of Verdun raged on, the front lines transformed into a vast network of trenches, dug into the muddy earth. These trenches were the home, the fortress, and too often, the grave of countless soldiers. They became a symbol of the prolonged, brutal struggle that was the Battle of Verdun. In these trenches, men from all walks of life found themselves shoulder to shoulder, huddled together under the relentless bombardment, sharing the same fears and hardships. From fresh-faced recruits to grizzled veterans, they all faced the same reality, the hellish existence that was trench warfare. The conditions were appalling. Mud was a constant companion, sticky and pervasive, it clung to boots, uniforms, and even infiltrated the meager rations. Rain turned the trenches into rivers, while the cold gnawed at the men's bones, making sleep an elusive luxury. When the sun shone, it brought not relief, but an unbearable stench from the unburied dead and overflowing latrines. Amid this squalor and hardship, human stories unfolded. Soldiers like Francois Fenelon, a young French poet-turned-soldier, chronicled life in the trenches, his verses etching stark images of the horror and yet, moments of camaraderie and shared humanity. On the German side, men like Kurt Volkmer, a schoolteacher from Frankfurt, wrote letters home filled with longing for peace, 
showing the emotional toll of the war. Under the watchful eye of Peitan, the Noria rotation system brought some relief, granting weary soldiers a respite from the front lines. However, returning to the trenches was always a daunting prospect, a journey back into the abyss. Battles raged not just against the enemy, but also against despair. Soldiers turned to various means to cope. Some penned letters and diaries, others shared tales or played harmonicas to uplift their spirits. The trenches resonated with the murmurs of prayers and the low hum of shared stories and songs, forming a defiant symphony against the cacophony of war. The trenches of Verdun bore silent witness to the courage and resilience of the human spirit. Amidst the hellish conditions, amid the death and despair, men held onto their humanity, their camaraderie, their hope. This was the harsh reality of Verdun, a hell on earth where the true cost of the war was etched in the mud and the blood of the trenches. Chapter 4 The Turning Tide While the earth around Verdun was churned into a hellish landscape, the skies above became the arena for a different kind of battle. The advent of aviation brought a new dimension to warfare, with the sky becoming a vital front in the conflict. Verdun, under its shroud of smoke and fire, bore witness to this high-stakes aerial drama. A key figure in this air war was the French aviator, Georges Geimer. A young man of slight build but remarkable determination, Geimer had overcome poor health to become one of France's top fighter pilots. With his trusty spat aircraft, lovingly named Vieux Charles, he soared above Verdun, becoming a beacon of hope in the bleak skies. Across the lines, the German Air Force was equally determined. Pilots like Oswald Bulk, a master tactician and mentor to the infamous Red Baron, patrolled the sky, his keen eyes watching for any sign of the enemy. Each encounter in the air was a dance of death, a thrilling and deadly game of chase. The air war over Verdun was a war of nerves and skill. Aircraft were rudimentary and fragile, and dogfights were close, personal affairs. Pilots maneuvered their planes with the nimbleness of a bird of prey, their hearts pounding as they chased their adversary, their fingers twitching on the trigger. Ground forces watched these sky duels with bated breath. The roar of engines and the rattle of machine guns became a part of the soundscape of Verdun, adding another layer of tension to the already charged atmosphere. The sight of a friendly aircraft spiraling downwards was a blow to morale, while the fall of an enemy plane was a cause for brief, fierce celebration. In these high-altitude battles, Geimer distinguished himself, becoming a national hero in France. His daring exploits and numerous victories bolstered the spirits of his compatriots on the ground. His death in 1917, however, was a reminder of the high price of the air war. The aerial conflict over Verdun was a testament to the rapid advancement of warfare, a chilling harbinger of future conflicts. The bravery of men like Geimer and Bulk, battling high above the scarred land, added another chapter to the saga of Verdun, a chapter written in the clear blue canvas of the sky. In the face of seemingly insurmountable odds, the French forces under Peitan were determined to push back against the German advance. Two significant landmarks, Le Mortem and Hill 304, became focal points of this bloody tug of war, epitomizing the brutal struggle for every inch of ground. 
Lumordum, or Dead Man's Hill, was an unassuming rise in the landscape to the northwest of Verdun. It became a symbol of the French resistance, a bastion amidst the storm of steel and fire unleashed by the Germans. Hill 304, less than a mile away, was another such bastion, a bulwark that bore the brunt of the relentless German assault. Major Jacques Roussel, a seasoned officer, led the French forces defending Le Mordum. A man of stern countenance and indomitable will, Roussel personified the French resolve. Under his leadership, the defenders of Le Mordum held their ground, turning the hill into a fortress. The German forces, led by General Max von Gallwitz, eyed these hills with a calculated interest. They knew the strategic value of the hills and threw wave after wave of men against the stubborn French defenders. The earth around Le Mortem and Hill 304 was churned into a moonscape, the air filled with the deafening roar of artillery and the cries of men locked in mortal combat. In this battle, no quarter was given, and none was asked. Every tree, every crater became a stronghold, a small island in the sea of mud and blood. Amidst this chaos, figures like Roussel and von Gallwitz orchestrated the dance of death, their strategies shaping the fate of thousands. The Battle of Lumordum and Hill 304 raged on for months. The hills changed hands several times, the landscape transformed beyond recognition. But the French forces, despite heavy casualties, did not buckle. The defenders of Verdun showed their mettle, pushing back against the German onslaught proving that they would not be easily vanquished. The battles for Le Mortem and Hill 304 became emblematic of the broader conflict. They were testament to the French resolve, the relentless German assault, and the horrific toll of the war. Amidst the mud, the blood, and the constant rain of shells, the defenders of Verdun stood tall, proving to the world that they would not yield. As the battle for Verdun raged on, the fall of Fort Duamont was a wound that festered in the heart of the French forces. The largest and highest fort of Verdun, it was a significant symbol of national pride. Its recovery became a rallying cry, a beacon of hope amidst the blood-soaked fields and shattered villages. The man tasked with this formidable mission was General Robert Nivelle, a charismatic leader and a master strategist. Known for his rallying cry, they shall not pass. Nivelle embodied the spirit of resistance that defined the French forces at Verdun. The fort, now in the hands of the Germans, had transformed into a formidable stronghold, a bulwark bristling with artillery. However, behind its imposing facade, the situation was dire. The German forces, under Major Hans von Zwell, were stretched thin and the conditions within the fort were harsh. Water was scarce, food was dwindling and disease was rampant. Yet, they clung to their prize, aware of its symbolic value. Nivelle, seizing upon this opportunity, meticulously planned the offensive. The French forces, armed with a fiery determination, began their assault on a rainy morning in October 1916. Under a gray, cloud-laden sky, the French artillery roared, a fierce and thunderous prelude to the imminent storm. Among the French soldiers was Charles de Gaulle, a young officer who would later rise to be a leading figure in French history. His determination mirrored that of his fellow soldiers, their collective will focused on the recapture of Fort Duamont. 
the fight for the fort was fierce and unforgiving. Every hallway, every room was a battleground. Amidst the thunder of guns and the acrid smell of gunpowder, the French forces pressed on, inching their way towards the heart of the fort. After days of relentless fighting, on November 2nd, the tricolor flag fluttered atop Fort Duamont once again. The recapture of Fort Duamont marked a turning point in the Battle of Verdun. It breathed new life into the French forces, their spirits buoyed by this victory. For the Germans, it was a blow, a dent in their armor. As news of the recapture spread, it became a beacon of hope, a sign that the tide of the battle was turning. The recovery of the fort stood as a testament to the resilience and tenacity of the French forces, their battle cry echoing across the scarred landscape, they shall not pass. Chapter 5 The Aftermath and Impact The battle for Verdun, which had raged for almost a year, finally began to ebb as winter descended upon the scarred landscape in 1916. The cost had been enormous, the toll on human lives beyond comprehension. Yet, in the face of such overwhelming adversity, the French forces had held their ground. At the helm of this resistance was General Philippe Pétain, a figure of calm and resolve amidst the chaos of the battle. His leadership had been crucial in holding the line, his strategy of defense in depth proving to be a cornerstone of French resistance. For the Germans, the Battle of Verdun was a lesson learned in blood and sacrifice. General Falkenhayn's strategy of attrition had failed to break the French spirit. Instead, it had cost Germany heavily in terms of men and resources. Falkenhayn, bearing the brunt of this failure, was replaced by Field Marshal Paul von Hindenburg, marking a shift in German strategy. The end of the battle did not come with a dramatic climax, but rather as a slow, painful grind. The French forces, emboldened by the recapture of Fort Duomont, gradually pushed the Germans back. In December 1916, the final German stronghold, Fort Vaux, was retaken, signifying the end of the Battle of Verdun. But the victory came at a terrible price. The French countryside around Verdun had been transformed into a desolate wasteland. Villages had been reduced to rubble, forests had been shredded, and the soil was churned into a morass of mud and craters. The human cost was even more staggering, with hundreds of thousands of lives lost on both sides. The Battle of Verdun, in its sheer scale and duration, marked a grim milestone in the annals of warfare. It was a testament to the stubborn resistance of the French forces and the harsh lessons learned by the Germans. Yet, it was also a stark reminder of the terrible price of victory a lesson etched in the scarred landscape of Verdun and the countless graves of those who had fallen. The Battle of Verdun, with its unprecedented scale and ferocity, had far-reaching effects on the course of the Great War. Its ripples extended beyond the devastated landscape of Verdun, influencing the strategies and fortunes of both the French and German forces. For France, the battle had proven to be a trial by fire, testing the resolve and resilience of the French forces and its people. In the face of the German onslaught, France had not only held its ground but also managed to strike back, retaking key positions like Fort Duamont and Fort Vaux. Figures like General Pétain and Nivelle emerged as national heroes, 
their leadership instrumental in keeping the French spirit unbroken. The phrase ILSNE passeront pas, or they shall not pass, became a potent symbol of French resistance, echoing far beyond the battlefields. In Germany, the Battle of Verdun marked a stark shift in military strategy. Falkenhayn's strategy of attrition had proven costly, leading to his replacement by Hindenburg and his aide Ludendorff. Their influence resulted in the implementation of a policy known as unrestricted submarine warfare, a move that would play a significant role in drawing the United States into the war. But perhaps the most significant impact of the Battle of Verdun was on the soldiers themselves. This battle, like no other, exposed the true horrors of modern warfare to the men on the front lines. The horrors they witnessed and experienced marked a pivotal shift in the perception of war, painting a grim picture far removed from any romanticized notions of heroism and glory. The Battle of Verdun, with its unprecedented loss of life and its brutal, protracted nature, proved to be a defining moment in the Great War. Its echoes resonated on all fronts, influencing the strategies of the warring nations, shaping the course of the war, and leaving an indelible mark on the collective psyche of an entire generation. The scars left by the Battle of Verdun were not just etched into the landscape, but also imprinted deep within the minds of those who had experienced the carnage firsthand. The ferocity of this battle, the sheer scale of destruction and loss of life, had far-reaching implications both on the psyche of the survivors and the environment that bore the brunt of this conflict. The shattered villages, the decimated forests, the pockmarked fields, all bore silent testimony to the devastating power of modern warfare. Verdun, once a serene and picturesque region, was transformed into a desolate wasteland, a grim monument to man's destructive capabilities. Even today, certain areas around Verdun, termed Red Zones, remain cordoned off due to the presence of unexploded ordnance, a stark reminder of the battle that once raged here. But perhaps more profound was the psychological toll the battle took on its participants. Soldiers, from the rank and file to seasoned officers, were subjected to conditions and experiences that were beyond the comprehension of the human mind. The relentless shelling, the grim hand-to-hand -hand combat within the forts, the squalid conditions in the trenches, all of these experiences had a profound impact on the mental health of the soldiers. Many survivors returned home with what was then known as shell shock, now recognized as post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. This was one of the first times in history where the psychological impact of war was given as much importance as physical injuries leading to a greater understanding of mental health issues in later years. Moreover, the Battle of Verdun also played a crucial role in shaping the literature and art of the period. The poets and writers who experienced the battle used their works to communicate the horror and futility of the war. Notably, Henri Barbusse in his novel Under Fire provided a gritty and realistic depiction of life in the trenches, influencing the anti-war literature of the period. The Battle of Verdun, therefore, marked a significant chapter not only in the narrative of the Great War but also in the larger tapestry of human experience. It forced a re-evaluation of the true cost of warfare, illuminating the deep psychological wounds and environmental scars that were often hidden behind the statistics of victory and loss. Chapter 6 The Legacy of Verdun 
In the years following the Great War, the Battle of Verdun came to occupy a special place in the collective memory of both the French and German nations. The scarred landscape around Verdun, the monumental ossuary at Douaumont, and the numerous war memorials all served as stark reminders of the immense sacrifices made by both sides. In France, the Battle of Verdun became a symbol of national resolve and resilience. The dogged defense of Verdun, despite overwhelming odds, instilled a sense of pride and unity among the French people. The battle, while marked by enormous losses, was seen as a testament to the indomitable spirit of the French nation. Verdun became a sacred site, a pilgrimage of sorts, where the French people would pay their respects to the fallen soldiers. General Pétain, who had been instrumental in orchestrating the French defense, emerged as a national hero. His calm demeanor and steady leadership during the battle greatly influenced his stature in the public eye. Even after the controversy of his collaboration with the Nazi regime during World War I, his role in Verdun remained a symbol of his earlier glory and commitment to France. In Germany, Verdun was remembered as a tragic mistake, a demonstration of the futility of warfare and the costs of aggressive military strategy. The perceived failure of General Falkenhayn's attrition strategy at Verdun influenced a shift in German military thinking, leading to a more balanced approach between attrition and maneuver warfare in later conflicts. Despite the physical and psychological scars, Verdun also played a role in fostering a sense of shared suffering and mutual understanding between the French and German people. Many decades later, in 1984, German Chancellor Helmut Kohl and French President François Mitterrand stood hand-in-hand in, hand in a moment of shared silence at the Duomont Cemetery, in a potent symbol of Franco-German reconciliation. The memory of Verdun continues to echo through the ages, a reminder of the harsh realities of war and the indomitable spirit of the nations involved. Its legacy remains imprinted in the collective consciousness, a symbol of sacrifice, endurance, and ultimately, of the enduring hope for peace. Standing atop a ridge overlooking the battle-scarred landscape of Verdun is the Duomont Ossuary, a monument of haunting significance. It is a memorial, a mausoleum, and a stark reminder of the scale of life lost during the Battle of Verdun. Designed by architect Leon Azema, the ossuary was inaugurated in 1932, its imposing structure rising solemnly above the former battlefield. Its architecture is deliberately severe, with a central cloister flanked by two wings and capped by a tower reminiscent of a medieval keep, meant to symbolize the military character of the site. But the true impact of the ossuary lies not in its towering edifice, but in the purpose it serves. Beneath the grand structure lies a vast crypt, housing the remains of an estimated 130,000 unidentified French and German soldiers. These remains, collected from the surrounding battlefields, are visible through small outside windows. This chilling sight brings home the scale of the loss and the horror of war in the most visceral way. This ossuary is more than a mere monument, it's a shared grave, a collective memorial to the unknown soldiers who fought and died in the cauldron of Verdun. Walking through its halls, one cannot help but be moved by the sheer magnitude of sacrifice it represents. Each bone fragment, each unidentifiable remnant, tells an untold story of courage, fear, 
an ultimate sacrifice. The Duomont Asuera stands as a poignant symbol of the horrors of war. It reminds us of the devastating cost of conflict, putting into stark relief the tragedy of lives cut short and the immense grief of families left without closure. It is a place for reflection, for mourning, and for honoring the memory of those who fell in one of history's most brutal battles. The ossuary at Verdun is a testament to humanity's ability to remember, to mourn, and to seek meaning amidst the senseless destruction of war. It stands as an eternal guardian of the memory of those who fought and fell at Verdun, a silent witness to a chapter of history that must never be forgotten. The Battle of Verdun holds a significant place in military history, and its lessons continue to resonate. This brutal, drawn-out battle was an embodiment of the futility of war and the true cost of the desire for victory at all costs. One of the primary lessons from the Battle of Verdun is the danger of over-reliance on a single strategy. General Falkenhayn's strategy of attrition was founded on the belief that France would bleed itself dry to protect Verdun, resulting in a German victory. However, this approach failed to account for the possibility of France's incredible resilience and capacity to mobilize resources for the defense of Verdun. This miscalculation led to heavy losses on both sides, transforming the battle into a war of attrition that Germany had not planned for. The Battle of Verdun also highlighted the importance of logistics in warfare. The French use of the Voie Sacre, a narrow road used to transport men, munitions, and supplies to the front, was crucial in their ability to maintain the defense of Verdun. This focus on maintaining supply lines, even under constant attack, underscored the significance of logistics in modern warfare. Furthermore, the battle demonstrated the immense psychological impact of warfare. The horrendous conditions, the continuous artillery bombardment, and the intense hand-to-hand -hand combat left deep psychological scars on the soldiers. These experiences shed light on the concept of shell shock, later recognized as post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, and forced a change in the way the mental health of soldiers was addressed. Moreover, Verdun showcased the evolving nature of warfare, notably the importance of air superiority. The use of aircraft for reconnaissance and artillery spotting played a pivotal role in the battle and marked a significant step in the development of air warfare. Finally, the Battle of Verdun serves as a sobering reminder of the human cost of war. The massive loss of life, the destruction of the environment, and the enduring psychological trauma inflicted on the survivors underscore the devastating effects of war. Learning from the past is crucial in shaping the future. The lessons of Verdun, highlighting the complexities and the human cost of warfare, continue to provide valuable insights. These lessons serve as a reminder of the importance of diplomacy, negotiation, and peacekeeping efforts in preventing such devastating conflicts in the future.